Welcome to Creekside Chats with successful multifamily real estate investors. Dr. Allen chats with successful investors exploring their journey from setback to triumph. Through this window, we glimpse the truths that inspire our guests to invest abundantly and flourish in all areas of life. And now your host, Dr. Allen. Hello and welcome to Creekside Chats with successful multifamily real estate investors where we delve deep into the life journey of our successful guests to find inspiration for our own growth and development. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. Today's guest works with Three Oaks Capital, a financial planning firm dedicated to help others to live their lives better. His primary focus is to locate high-performing multifamily real estate deals. He performs initial underwriting and analysis of these deals and determines if they are a good fit for the company. He is also involved with contract negotiations and capital raising. He remains involved after closing to manage the assets to ensure they perform in a manner that provides investors with exceptional returns. Welcome, Charles Seaman. I'm happy to have you today, Charles, and looking forward to a really good conversation. Alan, as am I, thank you very much for having me as a guest on your show. You bet. Let's get started here with, would you share with us a memorable time from uh, your formative years that helped you to be the person that you are today? Absolutely. So for me, I'm going to include the term formative years from about zero to 25. Well, that so, was, it was zero to 40 for me, so go right yeah. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so in that time frame, uh, when I graduated high school, I did not attend college. And I was rather directionless in trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I was working as a bank teller, and I, I said to myself, well, you know what? I was making $8.82 an hour, mm. and what anyway, too fast in life. So I said, okay, something's got to, got to give because I'm not going to get too far on $8.82 an hour. <laughs> so at the age of about 19, my mother, who was the primary breadwinner of the family, uh, I was from a single-parent household, became disabled, mm. and she had been afflicted with multiple cirrhosis, which really impacted her ability to go to work. Oh, wow. So at that point, I said to myself, well, I have to step up and get a real job because <laughs> I have to go support myself and my mother and make sure we have a roof over our head and food on the table and all that wonderful stuff that everybody likes. <laughs> yeah. So those, at that point, those said, necessities okay, of life, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Before you can do anything else, you have to make sure your necessities are covered. Right. So at that point, I had reached out to a, a friend of the family that had offered me a job a few months earlier, and I somewhat blew it off at that time because I, I didn't really see any value in it. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, I said, well, you know what? I'm not going to be able to keep a roof over our heads and put food on the table and do all those things on $8.82 an hour. So I gave him a call and said, okay, you know, do you have any openings still? So he told me to come in. I met with him for an interview, and lo and behold, uh, I wound up working there for 14 years. I wasn't quite intending to be there that long, mm-hmm. but I was fortunate to learn a lot about a lot of different things, and one of those things was commercial real estate. So he was a commercial real estate investor, and after the first couple of months, I think he showed that my work ethic was very, very diligent and very, uh, you know, really always looking to take on more. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I got the chance to work very closely with him and do things that other people didn't have the opportunity to do, and that's really what spurred me into real estate. He owns businesses in different industries, and you know, I, I learned different things about each of the industries, but I always gravitated towards real estate because I knew that that was what I liked best. Mm-hmm. So because of my mother's disability and my 
uh, needing to go out and find a way to produce you know, income that will actually support us, that, that's what really spurred me into multifamily real estate where I am today. Well, interesting, uh, interesting story there. And you said that was what, at 19? That this right, yep. is happening there. Um, so, um, if you are different now than you were, uh, say, ten or twenty years ago, uh, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, how how are you different, and uh, what brought about some of those changes? So, I think the way that I'm most different is that I'm probably more willing to let things come to me. Whereas 10 years ago, I would have been very, very aggressive and always tried to be the one chasing. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit smarter mm -hmm. and I, I decided to let things chase me now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what really led to it was necessity. I realized that there was a lot of effort I was expending. Mm -hmm. And even though I was doing well for myself and making a good living, I, I definitely was not living the lifestyle that I wanted to or the life that I wanted to. And I said, you know what, I have to change something. And I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, I'm making steps every single day. And a large part of that is really just a shift in mindset. Two things. One, developing the, the patience to allow things to come to me and then capitalizing on them when they do. And two, changing my mindset to eliminate some of the self-doubt that I had and enabling myself to, to, to realize successes that I wouldn't have had if I still had those same self-doubts and limiting beliefs. Uh, so there's a there's a couple of things there. You had said that you had come to a realization you weren't really uh, as satisfied with your life as you felt you could be. Um, what was the dissatisfaction and what was, I guess, the dream that you were looking at that you wanted your life to be? So the dissatisfaction was that my, my whole life really revolved around work. And, and I can't say that I've necessarily changed that yet. At some, some point, I hope to get there, but not yet. But really, my whole life, you know, other than the couple hours every night that I slept, was work from the time I woke up until the time I went to sleep. And, you know, I really didn't have much of a social life. And, and, and overall, listen, there were a lot of good things that came out of it. I mean, I, I didn't get in trouble, you know, in, in, in any of the more common ways that people do in their 20s, so I'm grateful for that. You know, I learned a lot. So there's a lot of good things that came out of it, but overall, it didn't really have any balance. So it was all tilted in that one direction. And, you know, with, with anything in life, I think you really need balance. So that's what spurred the dissatisfaction for me. And the dream life was always owning my own businesses. So not to say that that's necessarily going to make you work less, but it sometimes can if you, if you study up the right way. Uh, my goal was to be able to be in a position where I could build eventually multiple businesses, but starting out with one and then scaling from there to where I have control of my own lifestyle. And that's not to say that I wouldn't still work a fair amount, because I probably would just because that, that somewhat is my comfort zone at this point. But I would have more control over you know, being able to do what I want, when I want to do it, if I wanted to you know, take a vacation or, or you know, take a day off and go see something, whatever it might be, just have that, that freedom. Yeah, those uh, you know those are those are important things. Um, but also, even though it sounds like you were working a lot, and that's where most of your time was going, but also from what I'm just kind of hearing from you, it sounds to me like work uh, actually brings 
of fulfillment and satisfaction. I think you're 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 not in a position or you're not working in a place that you dread going into every day of your life. Um, so it's it's not as though that's your work is a bad thing, right? That's correct. You know, like anywhere else, there's always ups and downs, but overall I was very satisfied with it. And I was fortunate to learn a lot from a guy that was very successful that I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so otherwise. Mm -hmm. So in and of itself, that was you know, worth its weight in gold. So, there, so there's satisfaction there in your work life, but you did come to a point where you realized that there is more to life than, than work. Uh, so you, you mentioned vacation time, time off. Uh, what are some other things that you value in life that are more important than just finding satisfaction in work? It's a good question. It's one of those questions I'm still trying to answer for myself because I haven't quite made the time to figure that out yet. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there are things I enjoy in terms of hobbies, but in terms of what would truly satisfy me outside of it, I'm not really sure. And that's probably a large part of the reason that I gravitated toward my professional and work life is because mm -hmm. I, I have that side pretty set and I'm pretty, pretty well uh, established in what I want there and which direction I'm moving. But perhaps I haven't taken the same time to establish those things in my personal life. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you're on the right track. At least you're asking the right questions. And I'm not sure it's a question that any of us can ever really truly answer. It's probably a question we'll be uh, seeking and looking for for the duration of our time here on this earth. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but yes, I think we can find fulfillment, but I don't think it's an easy, an easy journey. And, it's, and I, it's probably always changing. The goalpost is always probably changing there. Yes. One other one other thing you mentioned that I'd like to explore a little bit further is this aspect of uh, you said a few years ago you would just be aggressively going after uh, the various different opportunities and now you are to that point where you're letting those things uh, come to you. I can't remember exactly how you put that, but uh, can you explain what it is that you mean by letting things come to you rather than aggressively going out after them? Yes, absolutely. So I can give you a few examples, uh, one real estate, one not. Uh, one would actually be with stock trading. So prior to getting involved in, in multifamily real estate and going down that path, I had taken quite a few years that I put into stock trading. And it was something that while I was working my full-time job, I wanted to eventually make a living out of. Mm -hmm. And I realized that you know, I made a lot of progress. Mechanically, I was a good trader. But psychologically, I, I must have had something, and probably the self-limiting beliefs I talked about that prevented me from being successful. And because of that, I would make bad trades sometimes. And trades that if I looked at them logically, I would say, you know what, I shouldn't have got in that trade. I should have just been patient and waited. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. Maybe I had an itch. I wanted to go scratch it, so I go in there and I trade. And you know, I got to a point that I went from losing money to breaking even, which in and of itself is progress. But... It's, it's not, you know, it's not where I wanted to be because ultimately my goal was to make money. Mm -hmm. So lo and behold, as I, as I, as I transitioned out of that into real estate, that was around 2014, uh, I realized that a lot of my stage, mistakes weren't even things I was doing mechanically, it was just things I was sabotaging myself with. And mm -hmm. I'll give you an example because just recently I decided to go back into trading and I have a couple of people in trading with on a regular basis that we're motivating each other and keeping each other accountable. 
And one thing I've realized now, and part of it might be because I, I have a lot going on with the multifamily real estate business, so, so maybe my attention's a little more divided, but I'm not as, as hungry to jump into a trade as I used to be. You know, I used to have to keep the, I guess my, my hand on the trigger, my, my, my trigger finger was always ready to go. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that sabotaged me because it made me go into trades that I shouldn't have mm-hmm. and actually cost me money. So this time around, I think I'm a little bit smarter. I think I'm a little bit more patient in that regard. So I won't have the same trigger finger that will allow me to get into so many bad trades that I shouldn't have been in. Mm-hmm. Will I still have losing trades? Absolutely. But I think I'll be able to have more winners and more success by entering less bad trades overall. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and how do you uh, how do you apply that uh, to uh, well you work with Three Oaks Capital with the, the acquisition work you're doing in conjunction with that? So with the work that I do on the acquisition side, I'm always very conservative for two reasons. One, you know, I, I look at it as if my reputation's on the line with every single deal we do, which which it is. And secondly, the investors' capital at stake. So the last thing anybody's ever going to want to do is come back to you. Mm-hmm. Give you a good reference for investing again. If you go out and you lose their money because you were sloppy with your, you do diligence and didn't do your homework. Mm-hmm. So what I always do when I get deals is I'm very thorough. I like to be very conservative, sometimes too conservative, and sometimes that may even cost me deals. But I'd rather miss a deal than go the opposite way and jump into a deal that, you know, I didn't do my homework on. I was overzealous on returns, and then all of a sudden, now I'm using potentially some of my own capital and other people's capital as well. And all of a sudden, it's a bad deal and people are losing money on it. So mm-hmm. being patient has allowed me to really look at the deals from an objective standpoint, mm-hmm. even if it's a bit conservative, and not after bad deals. Okay. Well, that, that explains it. So it's not like when you're, when you're saying you're, uh, you let things come to you, it's not like you're just sitting there passively hoping that, that something comes your way. But you're just being uh, conservative and uh, and biding your time and waiting for the the right things to come along. Exactly. So, so essentially, I'm still very aggressive in the sense that I'm always talking to people and always looking at things. Mm-hmm. But I, I've gotten smarter in the sense that I cherry pick the opportunities that I actually pursue. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that does take maturity. Um, and also, it could take. In in my case, it took some major major setbacks from some very very bad deals that went uh, went south that i had to learn that lesson so can you tell us about uh, i mean it's nice to talk about all of your successes and you've certainly experienced a lot of that but tell us about uh, a time that wasn't so successful in fact if you could just think back on uh, your life your career uh, what was a time in your life that uh, things turned bad, and um, and uh, what was it like at that point in time, and what did you learn from it, and how did you come out of it? So the most, I'll give you the most recent example I can think of, and that would be 2017, and it was almost somewhere right around the middle of February 2017, and I'm, I'm not quite sure what happened, but eventually, it, it must have been some type of breakdown. I kept going, kept going through the motions, but mentally I knew that I was off. Mm. And there were two things that were stressing me out a lot at that point. One of which was my mother's disability, a condition worsening. 
Uh, at that point, she had lived at home, and, and even though I was working a lot, when I did go home, I would always check on her and make sure she was okay. And it would look to be very strange because she wasn't feeling good, and, and accordingly, if anybody's ever dealt with somebody that's in bad physical condition, uh, they're not always easy, easy to deal with. <laughs> right. Understandably. Understandably, yeah. yeah. And between that and also my job at that point was rather stressful. The two of them coming together, I think, just led to a, a breaking point. Mm. And it wasn't something where I went out and, and you know, and did anything outlandish in the sense of, you know, uh, something detrimental to myself or somebody else physically. But I realized I started making bad decisions after that. And the bad decisions were, it, it, it went from stopping exercising, uh, eating poorly. You know, I, I, I you know, put, some, put some weight on around that point too because I said, you know what, a lot of the good decisions I made when I was in the right frame of mind, I reversed and made bad decisions. And then also on a personal note, I went out and probably spent more money on things than I should have. And I said, you know, between those two things, those were bad decisions I made when I melted down. And I realized what I really needed to do was step away from the situation and just say, okay, where am I? What do I need to do to get back on track? And then adjust course so you can get back on those decisions. That may make good decisions that lead to good, good results. Mm-hmm. So how did you come to that, I guess, that point of really understanding that, well, as, as you put it, you had actually uh, come to that breaking point. What, what made you aware of that so that you didn't continue on down that path? Well, it, it was just the results that I saw. And I saw that the last couple of years before that, from maybe, let's say, 2013 to 2016, I had done pretty good. I made some good decisions. I made decisions to exercise. I was working out with a trainer. I was eating better. I was, I was, you know, sharper with how I was, I was spending and managing money. And then I said, you know what? All of a sudden, I realized my results were changing. And I could almost pinpoint it to the middle of February 2017. I knew something was different. And I, I hadn't quite figured it out. But after a couple of months, I said, you know what? Something's not right here. Mm-hmm. And I, I took an honest look at myself and I took an assessment and said, you know, what did I do that changed? You know. What what's made my good habits and good results become bad habits and bad results? And I looked at it and said, overall, it, you know, I really had to be stressed because that was the only thing in my life that that would have done it. Mm-hmm. And between the two factors, I think they just eventually broke me. Part of it may have been that maybe I bottled it up and kept it to myself, and that probably wasn't the best way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So it was something that I let it out, and even though it wasn't in a physically harmful way, uh, in, a, in a mental and probably emotional sense, it was harmful internally, and, and then eventually those results started pouring out externally. Yeah. Well, it's difficult for men in our culture to actually be able to ex- uh, to share their feelings and, and their emotions, and we are... We, you know, we're taught from a very young age to just uh, bite the bullet and keep on going. And uh, it's considered rather unmanly to, to you know, find a place to share uh, our inner thoughts and feelings and emotions. And it's, and it's dangerous. It's, it's, it's one reason men are dying earlier than women do, uh, because women uh, don't have that, uh, that same hang-up. And the other thing is, of course, uh, you know, I, I think that, 
throughout our culture we don't uh, we don't stop and for the most part we don't realize we can look at, at people like your mother who have multiple sclerosis and we can see that that's devastating to them but we don't oftentimes realize how devastating that is for the caretakers and uh, and don't really um, stop and understand what it is that uh, that the caretakers are going through you know what that's a very good point and it's something that oftentimes you don't realize until you go through it yeah and i, I was used to dealing with it because the last 12 years prior to that i had but i think between her condition worsening and physically her becoming more limited and, and also just her becoming you know nastier because mm -hmm. of it and I know in the right frame of mind that she wouldn't have been that person, but it was who she became just because I think she didn't see any any way out. You know, I understand. Uh, but you're right. I mean, a caretaker with somebody that's sick or disabled uh, really can become very burdensome. Right. Yeah. Even even with uh, even with financial resources and 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 uh, help and support backing you up, it's a it's a difficult thing to go through. Yeah, absolutely is. Yeah, truly is. Um, well, we've we've kind of talked around this, but what is it in your life that brings you uh, your greatest meaning? Where is it that you find uh, your purpose and your meaning to keep on so, doing what you do? From the time that I was younger, I always knew that I wanted to be in a position to give back. Mm -hmm. and, and there's all different ways of giving back, right? So some people do it through monetary donations, some through it do it through investments of time. Uh, eventually, I'd like to do it through some combination of both. Mm -hmm. Right now, I probably do more so through an investment of time. And the way that I give back largely now is a lot of times when I connect with people, be it with you know, aspiring real estate investors on bigger pockets or, or other platforms, even in person and meetup groups, a lot of times I, I will give them training and guidance and help them get in the right direction. And I do that because I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can't say it's something I've ever charged for, and you know, I, I don't know if I ever will, but I do it because I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like to see people get ahead. I like to see people better themselves. I like to see people advancing and making progress. And I think it helps having a network of like-minded people where you can tap into those resources and do that. So th that's something to me I've always been passionate about. You know, I, eventually, I would like to have some type of philanthropic cause, and I haven't decided exactly what that would be, but. One of the causes that I always leaned towards was the spread of financial education because I think that our country and our school system do such a poor job of preparing young people for that that it often leads them to failure in the real world. And I think if we can spread that message to as many people as possible, then we can probably impact the directions of their personal lives and even, even the future of our national and global economies. Mm -hmm. sounds, like a, sounds like a wonderful goal there. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, the things that give us meaning are actually what uh, what keep us going, and so it's important to have those things in our life. Uh, I've got one more question, but before we go to that, we're running out of time here. Uh, tell the folks how they can get in touch with you. Absolutely. So you can reach me on social media if you find me on Bigger Pockets or LinkedIn. Just look me up at Charles Seaman, S-E-A-M-A-N. You can also reach me by phone, 347-306-3278. Or you can reach me by email, Charles at three, the number three, oaks, 
O-A-K-S-N-G-M-E.com. Okay. And we'll have those in our, in our show notes as well. Uh, my last question is, uh, when you come to the end of your journey here, what would you like on your epitaph? It's a great question, and I've, I've heard that one before, and I don't have a good answer to it yet, but I, I feel like I have to give something good being at the end of the show. <laughs> so w- what I'd like to have it say is that somebody who was caring and compassionate, yet firm and believed in what he, and, and, and stood for what he believed in. Ultimately, I'd like to be known as a person of conviction and compassion, uh, somebody who was both a fighter and also a, a teacher and somebody willing to help and, and empathize with others. Sounds like a good life. Well, Charles, it has been a pleasure having you, and I, I hope that we can have some future conversations uh, and get further into your very interesting life here. Alan, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure appearing on the show, and I look, very forward, I look forward very much to listening to future episodes also. Thank you for tuning in to Creekside Chats with successful multifamily real estate investors brought to you by Steed Talker Capital. Steed Talker Capital works with both new and established investors nationwide, creating opportunities to flourish in all areas of life. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures great and small flourish abundantly. For resources to enhance your well-being through multifamily real estate investment, connect with us online at capital.steedtalker.com.